You're listening to the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast. We hope this message speaks to you and encourages you. You can find more messages by searching Catalyst Church of Carrollton on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learn more at IamCatalyst.net. Lord, right now, uh, thank you, Father. Can we just all lift our hands? Uh, Thank you, Lord. We are so ungrateful. I am so ungrateful, Father. You know us, Lord. I have gotten away in seasons and in moments of really understanding that we get to be a part of your kingdom. It is about that. It is about it is about people, Lord. Forgive us for where we get a, for when we've gotten away from who you are and what you called us to do and how you've called us to do it, Lord. You don't just know the hair on our heads. That's all impressive. The Bible says you collect our tears. You know the tears. You know our dysfunction. You know the real reasons and insecurities and the insincere um, uh, motives we have. You know every defect, every secret, everything we don't tell our spouse or even the counselor when we say we're being open. You know it all. And you said that you have good plans for us. And Lord, we take that serious. We are not playing. We are moving forward. We are taking you serious. And Lord, we are going to build people. We are going to see families brought back together. We are going to see marriages that are mended. We are going to see addicts freer than they were before they got an addiction. We are going to see miracles and healings. And I don't even know what it's going to look like, Lord. But I know that the type of church that we're going to be is the type of church that when I was three and four years old that I experienced your presence which is why in moments I got away from it I never walked away from it and we are going father to focus on that in Jesus name amen can we give God some praise Welcome you guests, you get all ready, you get a good peek at how extra we are so that you can determine if you're going to come back and can handle it or not. Uh, We welcome you, we're glad you're here. If this is your first time, we love you, we hope that you are. We hope God blows your mind. I'd love to meet you after church. Uh, I'd love to meet your whole family for that matter. Don't be shy, tell somebody right now, say don't be shy. shy. If you're shy, I'm going to try to get rid of it before you even leave today because I don't play shy. Uh, will you stand with me if you can? I got one more. Y'all ready? I got one more. Paul said, and I will show you an even better way. An even better way. So for this last one, I want, when I count to three, I want us to declare it together. You don't have to tell it to your neighbor. I want you to get his, put all that effort of anxiety and I got to look at my neighbor. I want us to declare it loud together. I'm going to say better when I count to three. Y'all ready? Yeah. Are y'all ready? Yes. Here we go. One, two, three. Yes. Uh, we can do better. One, two, three. Yes. Now give him some praise real quick. God, God, that's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for me. That's what he wants for every part of our lives. That's what he wants for this church. Better. But we want bigger. We do. We like Bigger. We like bigger. Big, go big or go home. Big money, big house, big car. Be the boss. Be the star. Be the MVP. Cuss the coach out if your kids ain't that. If your church ain't bigger, it ain't better. Our culture is obsessed with bigger. 
Look at baseball. They pay a baseball player more money to hit 50 home runs and only bat 240. We compensate more based on quantity and not quality or consistency. This is nothing new. It has been around for years. We're just the best at it. We're the best at bigger. We're the America, king of the castle. The world doesn't run on Duncan. It runs on the dollar. The world economy runs on the dollar bill. Our currency. This desire for bigger is heavily ingrained in our expectations and our insecurities, our families. It's what we value. It's what we preach on. It's what we believe God and go in debt for. The possibilities are endless. And so is the pressure. Which is why when you look at suicide in the land of opportunity, our suicide rates and incarceration rates and domestic violence and rearrest rates and depression and mental illness and anxiety disorders and opioid epidemic. It is everything else, racism, hate, political divide. It is all fed uh, by the pressure that we put on ourselves to be bigger. So in the most privileged culture to ever by a long shot, not a little, to ever exist, we are hurting the most. And I am going to finish this series speaking as a person sitting beside you, not a person who is better or ahead of you. I'm going to finish this series and I'm going to start growth month by telling you this and I want you to say it. Look at your neighbor, the one that you're most confident saying something really bold to. Apologize to the person you're not talking to first. Look at him and say this. Y'all ready? Say this. Say bigger isn't always better. Now I want you to pop back to that person that said that to you. Pop back to them and say this. Say, get your mind out the gutter. <laughs> now look at me. Now look at me. Listen to me. There are times, there are times, there are times in your life and places in your life that bigger is actually the enemy of better. It Doing more is what's costing God doing anything in your life. And so I'm about to pray. And when I say amen, you can be seated. I'm going to go ahead and set the expectation. We're not focused on our neighbor. We're mindful of them. If, uh, if you need anything, we like stay in your seats if at all possible through the message. If you need anything, we got people with name tags that will help you any way they can. Mothers, if you get crying babies or fussy babies, we got several places you can watch the service because we care about you and everybody else. All my youth, I'm calling you out. You've been moving too much lately. I may call you out from the stage. And then next, my next step is I'm going to have Will and Sarah chase you because that's going to be funny. <laughs> Lord, right now, help me preach this message the way it needs to be preached so that it will hit hearts the way it needs to hit hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to start this thing by showing you how we see better. How we see better. 
There is a time in the Old Testament where a high priest, a priest who hears from God, the priest and the prophets heard from God. Uh, we all have the potential of experiencing God, but back then he mostly spoke through the prophets and the priest. And I want you to see how Samuel uh, saw better. Things weren't working out with Saul. I mentioned it last week. He was the king. He was qualified. He's big. He was a beast, but he lost himself. He lost his character little by little like we all do, and it wasn't working out. So God called Samuel to go look for another king. He goes for of Israel. He goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse is going to show him his sons and God is going to show uh, Samuel which one is supposed to be king. So watch what happens. It says this. This is how we see better. When they arrived, Samuel saw Jesse's son, Eliab, the oldest, the biggest, and said to himself, himself. Notice he didn't speak this aloud. Because you can have discretion. Some of you need to actually talk more. People like me need to shut up a little bit and listen. But, uh, it doesn't, but notice Samuel was thinking this. He didn't puke it out there for everybody to hear. We could start there and grow a little bit in our lives and have some more peace and good relationships and maybe even better marriages, I'm just saying, for all my loud people like me. It says he thought this. He thought to himself, this man standing here in the Lord's presence is surely the one he has chosen. He's a beast. He's a younger version of King Saul. This is it. Samuel didn't even think to himself of how good that was working out. A big old qualified joker like King Saul, he didn't think it's not even working. Because in his mind, that is how he saw better. It's how we see better. We see bank accounts. We see degrees. We see resumes and highlight reels. Five stars on paper, big money teams, big money teams like Bama, Georgia, and Auburn. I'm an Auburn fan, but they're the same. They hire big money coaches because great athletes in our culture want to be a part of something that's already big instead of a part of building something special and different. So what do they do? They hire big money to attract the player's mindset in our culture to, I want to go and be a part of something big. So what we do is our significance is tied up in the size of what we do. We see bigger as better. And if what you do in your life, you are not spectacular, then your insecurities tell you you are not significant. And all of us go down this road Pastors and churches, me included, have to watch myself because I've done it before and if I ain't careful, I'll do it tomorrow. So fight it today. Because we see better is bigger. But that is not how God sees better. He responds in the heart of Samuel. Samuel thought it. If God speaks to you, it's very rarely going to be audible. audible. He impressed upon Samuel, Samuel's thoughts. Keep that in mind. God puts things on your heart. He impresses them. You may not hear him audibly. I, I don't. It says, but the Lord said to him, to his heart, pay no attention to how tall and handsome he is. I know he's impressive, Samuel. I know he's impressive on the outside, I know that he looks like a king as far as the qualifications that you see. He says this, but I have rejected him 
because I've rejected him as king. He's not the one I'm calling. Because I do not judge as people judge. They, they look at the outward appearance. They look at the size of it all. They look at test scores and IQs and how well you interview. Do you know this? You know Paul couldn't even preach that well? For real. In Corinthians, they said this. They said this about Paul. He had to address some major issues in 2 Corinthians because they were kind of coming against him. They said this about Paul. They said he's unimpressive in person and speaking amounts to nothing. There, the man couldn't preach. In Acts, the joker preaches and puts somebody, this is a true story, puts somebody to sleep. He falls out of a window. They had to pray, probably really had to resurrect him from the dead because it was like three stories. Paul couldn't preach. He put a joker to sleep. I'll be honest with you. I don't put people up here who can't speak anymore. It's just not your gift. If it ain't your gift. I am so thankful that God's raising up dudes that can preach. They got more preaching. My, they're pink and they're, and they're, I got, what am I trying to say there? <laughs> I, got enough, I got about as much, uh, you know what I'm trying to say. I'm done with that. Mark Aker can preach. That's what I'm trying to say. God is raising up and he's the only one God is raising up. We built a church and started it and God was bringing in a lot of people that were unchurched and de-churched. Man, God's bringing people in here that are just ready to take off. Because that's what God does. Anyway, I'm done with that. Uh, so Paul couldn't even preach. Joker couldn't even preach. Put somebody to sleep. They had to pray and heal him because he couldn't preach. Yet Paul started the greatest church planning movement of all time. That crossed the world 2,000 years later. You and I are a part of the movement he started. And the joker couldn't even preach. I'm not done. I could do this all day. Let's go with the Old Testament though. Moses. Moses, boy, that sounds like me as a kid. Moses, Moses led two to three million Israelites out of slavery. He is considered, and to me it's not even debatable, the greatest leader in the Old Testament. The joker couldn't even talk. He had a speech impediment. You think I just had trouble saying something about more? He just, yes, you can say all day long. He had a brother that spoke for him, but they listened to Aaron. They looked to Moses. And God says, I don't look at what you look at, Samuel. I don't, you need to quit looking on the surface if you want to listen to me. I don't see it the way you see it. He says this, they look at the outward appearance. But I look at the heart. I look at the size of their faith and faithfulness. The heart. I'm looking, Samuel, for the dude that they didn't invite to the examination. They left out because they thought, surely it ain't going to be David. I'm looking for the joker that got cut from the team because of the politicking and their parents didn't have the money to make them impressive. They're the better athlete, but mama and daddy don't have a big enough bank account. I'm looking for the person that got passed up for the promotion and ain't talking junk about it, ain't trying to slander anybody because of it. They are faithful. I'm looking for the joker that's out there tending, risking his life, taking care of his daddy's sheep while y'all in here trying to 
lobby for being a king and he's risking everything. He is unnoticed, unappreciated. You know what, David, we don't know nothing about his mama because he didn't have a mama either, but he was out there being faithful. We know by the stories after that he wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. That's what I look at when you turn over to the next chapter. You hear the story that if you ain't been in church long, you may be in church today. You heard the story of David and Goliath. They're at a standstill, Philistine, Israel, right? They're in this huge war and they, they can't even move. They're in a standstill and there's this giant named Goliath, probably about nine feet tall, and the Joker's cursing God and calling somebody. He said, let's settle this war with one-on-one combat. You know what Eliab was doing? And biceps don't do you any good when you're up in the hills hiding with his brothers. Amen. King Saul wasn't budging. And David wasn't even invited to the party in the war. Right. He was too young or too whatever. And, but you know what? He shows up. You know what he showed up doing? Not trying to play the game. Not trying to be impressive. He shows up bringing him his brother some sandwiches. Because they've been in a standstill. They're hungry. And nobody is budging. This man is standing out there all day. Somebody come out and fight me and we'll settle this one-on-one combat and take care of it. Probably save some lives in the process. David shows up and he hears this little kid, this joker that nobody believed in. He took care of everybody and nobody took care of him. Nobody saw him. He shows up. And he hears this giant and he said, if nobody else is going to fight him, he ain't going to talk like that about my God. I'll fight him. And some laughed. Some were jealous because they wanted to have that boldness. All of them were amazed when he took that giant out. But God wasn't amazed at all because he saw it in him long before. Because he don't look at the size of your aptitude and resumes and abilities because let's face it I don't care how gifted you are he gave it to you anyway there ain't nothing you got good that he didn't give you the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above God judges by the size of your heart your faith and your faithfulness and if that grows you will grow and you will he, God will blow your mind we see bigger God sees different bigger isn't always better and I want you to know this I'm not a hater of bigger if you know me for about five seconds I'll tell you straight up Catalyst ain't going to be a medium sized church forever I'm a big church vision guy this church if it's this size several years from now we did something wrong not a hater on bigger at all. God just put a big vision on my heart. I just, God's trying to work on my heart and all of us here so that we can grow right and not get away from him and build something big that really isn't for the right reasons because that just crumbles faster and hurts more people in the process. What I want you to know is bigger isn't the problem in your life. But there are some times and some things in your life now and probably in every season that bigger isn't better. And I want you to know what that looks like. Bigger isn't better. We're going to start here. Bigger isn't better when you can't handle bigger. Jesus says this. It's been just a reoccurring theme in our leadership and overseers meeting for a while now. It's been mentioned a lot. Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. 
says he cuts off. He's talking about you. You're the tree. You're what he's working on and doing. And it says he cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. There are some times in your life that God is going to decrease. He is going to take away. You will lose money. You will lose relationships. You will have setbacks. Things will go sideways. You will get caught doing something stupid that leaves you ashamed and embarrassed. And when he cuts something off of you, it's because he, regardless of the details, regardless of where it leaves you, who it leaves you with or without, regardless of how bad it hurts and you cover your face and don't want to be seen in public, the reason God does it is he loves you too much to leave you the same and let you keep coasting. He loves you too much and, and, and it says that, that he cuts off. There's some things that God wants to cut off of you and out of you and it will hurt like hell sometimes. But he does it because he loves us all. Well, I like talking about this part of the promise. He cuts it off. He will cut things. Why, does he, why do you cut off branches? Uh, we were talking about an overseer's meeting because you want the nutrients that was going to things in that tree that weren't producing life and weren't growing. You want to redirect it to the areas that are having life. God loves you and that's how he raises you to life. And it says this, it says, and he trims and cleans. I love the scripture that says that, uh, that God is the silversmith and, and when the impurities when the impurities are taken out of the silver, it says the artist will be ready to produce a thing of beauty. Huh. I don't like that. And he trims and cleans every branch that produces fruit. Here is the motive. I want you to hear this. It says that he does this. It says he cleans every branch that produces fruit so that it will what? Produce even more fruit. The problem isn't with bigger. The problem is with our heart. You want bigger. You want bigger. You want more. I get it. I'm you. I'm telling you, I stand as a peer preaching this message, not somebody that's better than you. You want more. You want to be the manager now. You want to call the shots now. You want, you want to be the starter now. You want your kid to be the starter now, which is why you manipulate to get it done. And you wonder how good that makes you and your kid feel when he's in the game and you know that you had more influence on somebody to start your kid. And we want more. You want the promotion. You want the... We are entitled to it, really, is how we feel. I have seen... Some of the most talented. I've been doing this long enough that I can tell you people, th people talk about the talent in Nashville and Hollywood. Man, I've seen some of the most talented people of my life that they got their start in the house of God. Matter of fact, probably most of them out there, I just didn't know it. Some of the most talented business people, communicators, singers, I'm talking about they could be the CEO have a lot bigger stages than they have. Be famous. But if it happened right now, it would destroy their life and possibly end it. That what they're praying for would kill them and kill everything they're believing God for if they got it right now. 
Now that we grow bigger and God's doing things, people come up to me a lot and they say, hey, I feel like I'm called to ministry and to be a pastor. I did the same stuff. I did the same stuff. I feel like, I, and, and now that I'm older, I come to find out I, I make them as mad as they made me when I was younger. I just, I'm called to pastor. I'm like, you, you only see what happens here. This is the most gravy part of my job. The most gravy part of my job. It's exhausting, but it's fine. It's fine. And when, these, when somebody comes up to me, when somebody comes up to me and says, I feel like I'm called the pastor, I'm like, man, uh, I don't think you can handle people like you think. And if you can't handle people and you can't even show up to work and punch a clock consistently, I'm telling you, it will ruin your life and you will hate ministry and walk away from church and probably hate God too. I've seen it over and over. You know that pastoring is the, considered the top, uh, or the top three most stressful jobs in the world. This is a true statistic. Read it, read it yesterday morning. Uh, uh, tw- out of 20 people that start ministry, only one in 20 retire from it. Talk about that turnover. This easy. As long as you're sincere, love the Lord, God will use you up here. It's when you come off the stage and all the responsibility comes with it. And I tell people, I say, you're not ready, and they get mad. I got mad. I got mad, but you know what? Looking back, I'm like, everybody who told me that, they were so right. And my Kevin Hart voice, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. (laughs) Obviously, that's pretty funny to somebody. (laughs) You are not ready. (laughs) I've cried enough today. I need to laugh some. Good cry. You are not ready for more. You're not ready for bigger. There's some areas of your life I make it make you mad saying it, but I love you enough to say it. There's some things as a church we just ain't ready for yet. Not tomorrow. We're going to make moves, but we ain't ready yet. God loves you too much to give you what you're not ready to handle yet. And he is going to prune you. And I can tell you this. God will do more in you before he ever does more through you. And if you aren't faithful to that, you won't live very much of what he promises. We also use it as an excuse. Let me just throw that out there. I've heard this. We use pruning as an excuse. We do it. Oh, you know, Jesus just lost crowds and people too about being, you know, he just said it like it is. And they crucified Jesus. Two things there. Um, uh, He built bigger, more healthier crowds when he lost them. And two, if you hadn't read the end of the story, we'll celebrate in a couple of months. He didn't stay dead. And so... And so, if you haven't had many victories lately in your life, if you haven't enjoyed the victories that you've had, if, if, if your walk with God, relationship with God, relationship with your spouse, if your mindset, maturity, if what you think matters and doesn't change and expand, if, you're not, if, you're, if you don't grow in being more responsible for the things that God has trusted to you and you are not a better steward than last year, last month, two years ago, if, you're st- if you continue to be broke, broken, bitter, insecure, volatile, and you've done it for years. If your, church is, if your church is declining for 10 years, that ain't pruning. That is decay and death. That is dying. 
And so what we do is we say, it's just a season. It's just a season. Well, it's been a little bit longer than a season, which means you need to reevaluate and reexamine your life. And here's the thing about that. We, we think that's when you do something bad. Successful, growing, whole, healthy people, that is a habit. Is they do it proactively and consistently. Where struggling people who stay struggling and don't grow uh, only do it when they're desperate, when they do something stupid and have to, or they just don't do it at all and keep going deeper into the holes that they've buried themselves. And they blame everybody else and God too. You have to reevaluate. You have to reexamine your life. That's a habit of godliness. That's a habit of loving God. That's what this place is. We're supposed to start conversations in your heart. Bible teaches this. Bible says this. I love this principle. It applies to everything. Uh, Solomon says, money that grows easily, money that grows quickly uh, disappears. No. Money that grows easily disappears quickly. But money that is gathered little by little, Solomon says, grows. Several thousand years later, you know what we call that in investments? Compound interest. Solomon, that billionaire, had it figured out long before a uh, trillionaire, long before America ever talked talked junk and and built a a dynasty, empire. It applies to everything, y'all. What compound interest is, is when you save little by little, interest accumulates not just on what you earn, but what you save, and it begins to multiply. You want to hear it in your life? Here it is. When the Bible says you reap what you sow and you harvest what you plant, when the seed comes, when it harvests, it's always bigger than what that seed is. Amen. Compound. You get a lot more than you plant when it comes to harvest time. Compound growth. It applies to everything in life. And next week, I'm going to continue growth month, and I'm going to start a series that I'm so excited about. I want to make it clear, as clear can get. I'm going to talk about compound faith. Because faith, when I just began to read scripture, and at the end of last year, I realized, oh my gosh, I need some things for my life. Very much so, because if your faith doesn't get fed, you lose faith, and everything else in your life goes with it. But if you will feed your faith, it grows the same way. If you want to grow, need to grow, know somebody who at least you know they need it or want it, you bring them. Because I'm going to show you if you will grow your faith, it will affect every other part of your life and you will grow. You won't be the people that are hating when people talk about growth. You'll grow. Amen. And the principles in the scripture are very clear. They're, e- they're simple. They're just not easy. But we're going to get through it. Tell somebody, say, I'm ready to grow. We're building people, y'all. We're making a lot of changes in our church. We are. We're taking a lot of bold steps, big steps. Some of you may think some of them are a breath of fresh air. Some of you may not believe in them, understand them, like them. But I'm going to tell you, every decision we make, small, big, it is because of this. I will not build a church where a lot of people come in for a good show. We are going to be the dynamic. I personally think we're the most dynamic around. I know I'm biased, though. That is not why we're here. It's not why we're here. 
We're going to build a church of people that come in here and they, they, their lives are changing. Their perspective is expanding. They are experiencing the presence of God. They are growing from glory to glory for his glory, not their own accumulation. And they are never looking back. And I, we will not build a bigger show. America has gotten to the place where we compensate, we value shows. I am not building a church. We will not be a church that we we come in a seat and we're like, this is awesome on Sunday and you don't come back to it next Sunday. If that's why you're here, you're probably, I'm not going to pressure you or guilt you, but you probably won't want to stay long because that is not what God wants to do in your life. And bigger isn't better. It's just a part of the process. If we can't embrace the process and trust God, we will not experience the promise. Pruning the point of pruning is to grow more fruit in your life. Not for you to keep being miserable and bitter and snippy. And before you know it, 10 years from now, you're unrecognizable because it happened little by little. James says that the way the enemy comes is it drags you away by your own desires. Things that you quote in scripture defending. We will not do that. So we're not there yet. God's moving, we're going to move. Because bigger isn't better when you can't handle bigger. But if you are faithful to him and trust him with the process and do not lose hope and, do, and you will take him seriously, you will grow into whatever God has for you. Bigger isn't better when you aren't faithful with smaller. I need some water. Y'all okay with that? Can I get some water real quick? I got to be okay. I got to be okay with silence. I always hate it, but I got to be okay with it. I know who that was. That was Chris Carter. That was Chris Carter. I love you too. Jesus said straight up, I don't even have to teach this. It's straight, just so clear. Whoever is faithful with little is also uh, faithful with much. Can't be faithful broke. Why would God give you more? Because if you ain't got nothing, that's a lot of easier to manage than if you have everything. Everybody thinks it's a test on being faithful when you ain't got nothing. Oh, it's hard to trust God. What about when you got everything? That's a little bit harder. That's why you ain't got more money and more people in your life is because you got to learn to manage nothing. It's a, you know the easiest time to lead this church is when we didn't have no money. Couldn't do nothing. Well, no decisions to make. We just one foot in front of the other. Now we're growing, we're seeing, we're seeing God expand what we do. That's when the real business gets, gets serious. When you broke, it's pretty simple. You're just trusting God for your daily bread. He did that in the Old Testament, by the way. He gave them bread because when you ain't got none, God will figure it out if you trust him. Jesus said, I'm going to keep going. Jesus said, whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much. And the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you hold in secrets in the dark from the people you love, if you are not honest when you're hurting, if you think you're protecting everybody, that's pride. You ain't protecting nobody. You're not trusting Jesus. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you can't be faithful with what little you have to manage and responsibility you have, why would he give you something more that, that is more uh, requires more? more responsibility and maturity you don't have because people get hurt then. If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, whoo, this hit me in the heart this week. Who will give you your own? Are you faithful when you have nothing? Are you faithful when no one's looking? 
King David had already been anointed king, yet he was playing the harp as an entry-level servant for King Saul who was having headaches because David didn't try to lobby to be king. He let God promote him. We don't like that. How you do when no one's looking? How do you do at entry level when you know that you want, when you, you ask at the interview, hey, what's the ceiling on this job? Is there room for growth? And you're thinking about the ceiling when you're at the, on the doggone floor. Are you faithful with somebody else's vision? This hit me this week. I started thinking about when I was an associate pastor. And, uh, you know, I show pictures to y'all, and they're a little exaggerated, how lame I was and dressed, and, and, I mean, the khakis and the sweater vest and all that stuff. And, and, and I have always been an old soul. I've never been cool. I just learned now I don't try to be, so I'm a little bit cooler because I'm confident being uncool. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> I, saw, I show pictures uh, of you. I've shown pictures over the years of me looking like a 60-year-old Baptist preacher. People laugh at me. But you know, I, I've always been a little bit lame, a lot lame, but I wasn't quite that lame. There was a dress code. There was a dress code. The content that I preached, I couldn't preach nothing like I preach here. I still make people mad unintentionally. Crowds would be bigger in seasons. The response would be great. But I had to adjust and honor somebody else's vision. It wasn't, it didn't matter if I agreed, disagreed. It wasn't mine to make. That's just an accident waiting to happen. Wasn't mine to make. God will not honor you with more until you honor him with less. I'm going to say this one more time. And I hope you'll hear it. And if you need to hear it, I hope you'll write it down. God will not honor you with more until you honor him with less. And bigger is not better. It is not what you need. I don't care how bad you want it until you are faithful with smaller. Every part of your life. Faithful was smaller. And bigger isn't better when it's about you. Man, this is a constant battle in our hearts. We see God, we see God moving our life and we're like, yeah, I'll never look back. And then little by little, we're making it about us. Feels good, right? Oh, it feels good seeing this church grow. I told y'all I've learned from it. I still struggle with it. I see it grow. I'm like, man, they're coming to listen to a dude that is, I, I've told y'all some of my story. New people, you'll hear it over the years when it applies to the message. It doesn't today, so I'm not gonna talk about it, but uh, I literally... I'm like, man, wow, it feels good. Bigger isn't better when you can't handle it, when it's about you. When it's about you. Watch this. The prayer of Agur in Proverbs 30 has been so misinterpreted for so many years. People like to talk about it's poverty or, or you know, this is anti whatever it is. This man's heart is what our hearts, this is the motive of somebody God can trust with more. It is not about him. Agar asked God for two things. I pray two things. First, help me never tell a lie. Let me stop there. I wasn't going to teach there, but I need to. We need honesty in our lives. And I'm not just talking about honesty about everybody else and saying, hey, you need to be honest. Uh, I'm talking about in your own life and be honest with yourself and where you are. You need to quit pretending with your spouse and getting mad at everybody and pretending in a room with people. You need to be honest 
And before you can be honest with everybody else, you got to be honest with yourself. And be able to let people know how you really feel. I do not struggle saying, I suck today. I probably need to stop. I suck and I've been mean to you. Man, I've had to apologize to Angie over the last several months. I have been mean to you, too mean to you, too mean to Connor and Terry and every leadership here. I have been too mean and it's because I was stressed out and that is not a problem with anybody but me. He says, first, God, I want you to never tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Woo, wow. I don't want to be rich or broke. Listen to motive, though. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Boy, is that the opposite of what I preach a lot of times? Like, God don't want, he's more than enough. That's his name. El Shaddai, more than enough. But listen, it's the motive of his heart. For if I grow rich, I'm scared that I'll deny you and say, who is the Lord? If you bless me, God, I'm scared that I'll gain the world and everything and I'll lose my closeness to you and you are my priority, Jesus. No, this is Old Testament, but they worship Jesus too. They just didn't know it yet. I don't want to get this. I, don't, I tell y'all, I say it a lot now. I don't want to grow a church big if it's not deep. I don't want to get, it's got to be about him and it's got to be about him, not me, not us, nothing else. I don't want more, God, because you are my priority. Then he says this. He says, and if I'm poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. In other words, I'm going to get in survival mode. I'm going to make stupid decisions because I'm in default mode, struggling, and I settle through stupid stuff so that I can make ends meet and end up in shame and in a hole, disconnected, thinking I'm unworthy because I, we do stupid stuff when we're hungry. And he says, I'd rather just have enough so that you can be enough in my life. This is the motives of a person that God is going to give more to. And until it is, I'm telling you, bigger ain't better for you or for me. And I don't get to say what yours or my heart is, only he does. Because you remember what he told Sam, that ain't what I'm looking for, Sam. We've been praying the prayer of Jabez for like 25 years, right? Watch the heart. I could teach on this too. I could do a whole sermon, but I'm just going to keep it quick. Watch the heart of Jabez. People have been reading that book for years, praying it over their churches and everything, but watch his heart. He was, Jabez was, the one who prayed to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Give me more. Promote me, God. I want, you, I want to see you do more in my life. We all pray that. God, I want this. I see this. Give me the desires of my heart in them, and I'll delight myself in you and all that stuff. We do it. I do it. All of us do it. We're dumb sometimes, and we need to focus. That's why we need a Savior. But listen to this. He follows it up. Please be with me. And all that I do. When you bless me, I want you to walk with me, before me, behind me, all sides of me. Like the scripture says, you want to compare scripture to scripture. He said, I want you to be with me. I'm not just saying delight, I delight myself in the Lord. So you said you'll give me the desires of my heart. When we say it like that, we're trying to treat God as a vending machine. I give this, I tie this, I do this. God, you're going to bless me. Uh-uh. Whatever you give me, I want you to be with me in it. Keep me from all trouble and pain. In other words, he knew that if I get off my path, if it starts being about anything but him, but God, 
that he would cause pain because I'm telling you, we hurt ourselves and others when we get off where God calls us to be. We can't help it. It's who we are. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? That's why we need him. That's why we got to come here and be hungry for him. And if we're not hungry for him, we end up being hungry for other things. And before we know it, we've hurt ourselves a lot of people. And he didn't just say that. A lot of us pray, God, I want you to grow me the right way. I get up here and preach about it, God. My biggest fear in my life right now is not, we can grow crowds. We lost almost everybody two years ago. We can grow crowds. I'm not worried about that. I want to build the crowds that we build. I want to build the families. That's what Jesus wants. That's what he does. So he didn't just pray that. That was, the, that was the motive of his heart is, God, I want it to be about you. And because that was his motive, not just what he preached, but what he practiced, it said, and God granted him his request. He gave it to him. He did it because he could handle it. Better, bigger is not always better, but I'm going to tell you, better is always solid. In your notes, it says deeper, but I changed it yesterday. So you can mark it out if you're taking notes on your bulletin. And don't put deeper, put solid, because this is a better word for what I'm trying to say. When something big falls, it falls fast, it falls hard, and it hurts a lot more people in the process. Look at the World Trade Center's. Nobody thought they'd fall, but when they fell, I was, in, I was in high school history class, I remember. A lot of people died. Some of the greatest movements of God, some of the greatest men of God. Baby girl, you can come on up here. Some of the greatest um, men of God. Some of the most pioneering movements of God that we act like are just villains because they fell prey to scandal. And I'm going to tell you, they were good men, good movements. But what happened is when you grow bigger and not solid, when you fall, you fall hard. And these men that we vilify and we act like they're terrible men, no, there was a time that their hearts They got honored what they did, but then they started growing bigger. And before you know it, I could name some of the movements that literally, uh, that, 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 that influenced the contemporary church movement and Christian music. And they've shut their doors. And a lot of people don't even have faith anymore because of it. When something big that doesn't grow better but grows bigger, when it falls, it falls hard. COVID shook this entire world up. Everybody. You, me, church, family. All of us, it shook us. I was talking to some great community leaders recently, or this week, and the same things are being said now that we're coming up on three years, and I don't agree with them. Good men that are loving people, and, 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 and a, woman, a woman or two for sure said it, and they've said this, they've said, I just don't think it'll ever be the same again, and they say it in the good ways, it won't be the same. I don't believe that. And if I did, I wouldn't be here. We'd just shut it up and go home. Here's why I don't believe it. The New Testament church, they were trying to kill them, the disciples. They tried to kill them. They eventually did. Killed Jesus. Nothing like what we have dealt with, nor probably will ever deal with. 
within three centuries, there were roughly, uh, best I remember, 20 million Christians. And the country that killed them converted to a Christian nation. They didn't have all the luxuries we have. They didn't have pianos and lights and they didn't have AC and heat that I get mad because it's too hot in the smoke sometimes. I'm like, hey, I can't handle this. They didn't have online services when you watch this later. They didn't have any of it. It was illegal to do what we're doing today and eventually they would lose their life doing it, but they wouldn't stop doing it. And as I look at my own heart, all I can think about is I was, has God forgive us, Father? It ain't even a secret sauce. It's just a sauce we don't like to see. I don't want to see it. This is how they grew. This is it. And we are so far from it. Catalyst, we are so far from it. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the sharing of meals. They got at tables and they connected. They were not guarded, including the Lord's Supper. Communion they took together, not on a stage. When the preacher decides we're going to do communion, they did it at tables with their families. And somebody broke in a lot of times and took their lives. And it says, and to prayer, oh man. Jesus said that my house will be a house of prayer. This fast has been the time that Angie and I prayed together more than we ever have. And we've always prayed together, but I'm talking about intentional, on our knees, holding each other in the bed. Eight years almost of marriage. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed miraculous signs and wonders. He'll do that again. And the believers met together in one place. Not online. One place. Unguarded. Not afraid because of a pandemic. Rome. Jews, the council, they were coming after them. Paul got converted on a trip to put more of them in jail and kill them. And it says, and the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. We will fight you and cuss you out and leave a server. No tilt whether they do a bad job or good job. And it says, God, it's yours. Forgive us, Father. They worship together at the temple each day. Some of you right now are thinking this service is too long. You're hungry, ready to go to lunch. And they were there every day seeking the presence of God with their corporate church family. Our attention spans, I'm going to tell you, yes, we're not going to stay here all day, but 
When Paul said, I'm becoming all things to all men, he didn't say I was enabling it. And I'm tired of this Twitter feed, one line, uh, soundbite spirituality, because at some point, the, our attention span is a sinful thing. And we are losing our connection with him because we're so busy, distracted by everything else. And I'm talking to myself. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper again. They took communion and sat at a table and remembered. Jesus said, communion, you did this in remembrance of me. They remembered how much Jesus loved them and what he was willing to do to prove it. No preacher, a table. They shared meals together. I love that. Catalyst, we're going to feed people. That's how we roll. It ain't just because I'm chubby. That's what they did. And they, watch this. This just tore me up, y'all. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. All people. All people. The ones trying to kill them, all people. We can't even sit at a table and not talk about and vent about the people that have hurt you the last three years. I'm talking to me. There's some people that have hurt me deeply in my life, but we, that's all we talk about. All we talk about is what the world's gone to hell. We post about it. We argue about it. That's all we do. And these jokers all died. You ever want to read a book to really shake you up? Go read Fox Book of Martyrs. See how they died over the centuries. And you will appreciate what God has given you and you won't take it for granted and try to go to lunch too soon. All while enjoying the goodwill of people. They knew people were messy, but they knew Jesus was bigger and better, and he was all that mattered. And it said, because of this, this was the sauce. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And three centuries later, they went from a little houseful to 20 million, and the Roman Empire became a, became a Christian nation. And 2,000 years later, it's across the oceans to America. And I'm telling you, the church ain't perfect. It is messy, but Jesus is still moving if we want him to. Amen. And better is solid. It started in a room. There's a lot of things you can't put God in a box or, formula, or put a formula on it, but it started in a room. Everything in Acts, go look, it started in a room. It didn't start online, YouTube sermons, consuming information. Listen, I am not wanting to build a church of people that come consume content and absorb information, my information. I don't want you to look like me. I'm wrong about some stuff. I'm not Jesus. I want to be more like him. I'm not him. We look at it, I'm a customer, I'm a consumer. It is not how they did it. It started in a room. I know you got anxiety, and I know you got trauma, and I know it's easy later for you to sit on that couch. But it started together. It started together. And then it began to build depth. And, and it got legs and it got, it got solid at a table. Conversations with people. You can't have conversations reading books. You can have all the information in the world, man. Pharisees did too. They still missed Jesus and killed him. That's where it did. It tipped and took off. But it started there. And the American church, us, me, I'm not, I'm not accusing them, I'm American. We have two extremes. It either stays in a building, which is a show, 
or it never even starts here and most people stay disconnected because it's safe. If we want to see a move of God, if you want to see a move of God in your life, in your relationship with God, there's some days you got to get out of bed, you're depressed, they died, you're, you're struggling, you don't even have any faith, and you got to get up and you got to move because it started in a room, Pentecost started in a room, spread to the streets, and everybody thought they were drunk, some people, they're crazy, but 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord that day. Starts in a room. That's why we're turning off online. Well, hey, if, if I want you, if you watch it later, get in a room. I don't, if it ain't ours, if we're too much, that's fine. You can consume our content on Monday, but get in a room. Catalyst Church, we need to be more consistent about attendance. If you don't want to be here and grow here, find somewhere because your family needs it. The movement that God started was in a room at a table. Thanks for listening. We'd love to know your story. Let us know how this message impacts your life. You can message us at info at imcatalyst.net. We're here for you and we are for you. If you have a prayer request, you can message us at prayer at imcatalyst.net. To keep up with what's going on at Catalyst Church in Carrollton, visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Jesus cares about you, we care about you, and we hope you join us again on the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast.